0: Okay, we are in middle of the hakdama, middle of the introduction to Sha'ar HaBitochen. We're learning from the Sefer Choyves HaLavaves, Duties of the Heart. Um, It's got to be probably the oldest, most most authoritative Sefer on the subject. And we're on our third class in HaBitochen. Before we begin, um, continue when we're holding, I wanted to mention, I would be remiss if not to mention that tonight is an extremely special night, especially on the Chabad calendar, it's the 24th of Tavis, which is the yard site of the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, the founder of Chabad Chassidus, um, the successor, the disciple and successor of the great Maggid of Mezrich, who in turn was the disciple and successor of the Baal Shem Tov. Um, so, the Baal, so the Alter Rebbe, Rav Zalman, though he wasn't um, biologically related to the Baal Shem Tov, uh, called himself many times his grandson because he was his student's student. And he took that very, very seriously. In fact, um, there were various differences of agreement between tzaddikim of the generation about certain principles of Hasidus and so on. And one of his opponents, interestingly, was a great tzaddik who was the grandson of the Baal Tov, Rav Baruch of mezhebush And Rav Baruch of Mezhibosh once said, you know, how can you disagree with me? I'm the Baal grandson. And the Alter said, he says, you're the Baal grandson physically and I'm his grandson spiritually. And therefore, when it comes to an issue, a question, to our, I, I can, <laughs> I'm disagreeing, and he did. And the, the Alter Rebbe, really, we, um, we owe so much to the Alter Rebbe and so many levels, and he started Hasidus Chabad, and he gave us the Tanya, and he gave us the Shulchan Aruch, and so much, and therefore, it's supposed close to be learning together on this special date. Um, but, so to, to um, follow that with an idea of Torah from the Alter Rebbe that relates to what we've been learning. And again, I'm just interjecting that, because it connects very directly to what we've been learning. One of the things we've dis- been discussing about bitachin is that it has the ability to create new channels for bracha. And that's an important concept. Um, because people ask all the time. They say, you know, I trust that Hashem is going to help me, but maybe I'm not deserving of it. Which, you know, which is a very natural thought and something that we think. You know, maybe Hashem decided that I'm not deserving of this bracha. And that's, you know, how can I trust that He's going to give it to me? And it's a great question. But the answer given is... It's possible that I'm not supposed to get it, but my bitachin itself becomes the vessel, becomes the keli that should make me worthy of receiving that bracha. That's a very important idea to understand. The bitachin is an active creator of vessels for Hashem's bracha, and there's many psukim that support that. Um, but to uh, to uh, to um, refer or to to uh, compare that to an idea that the Alter Rebbe teaches in Tanya, he talks about. A drop of a different angle, but when negative things happen to a person and in life, negative things happen. Um, painful things happen, and so on. And there's different ways to deal with them. Um, sometimes we go to pieces, and uh, it might be very difficult to pull ourselves back up together when something difficult, painful, tragic happens. And yet, um, Torah teaches, and specifically Hasidah spends a lot of time talking about the idea of being able to accept difficulties in life and still uh, that shouldn't hurt my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. and what's called Kabbalas yisurim ba'ahava or besimcha to be able to accept difficulties of life and still remain happy, upbeat and besimcha difficult as it is and we're not talking about necessarily at that moment when something happens um, there is something called crying and there is mourning and all that is true halachically. but to be able to as a person be able to receive it and accept it within the proper um, with the proper framework of Aramuna. That helps us cope with difficult situations. And in time, he talks about that in a number of places. And I'm, I'm not going to deal with the lengthy treatment of it now. But I just want to point out one point. In one place, he talks about that a person, when they um, have difficulties, personal difficulties in life, to look at it in a sense that it's clear that Hashem is doing it for my benefit, though I don't understand how. I don't understand, I don't relate to it, and I daven that we shouldn't experience this. But it's beneficial to me. Sometimes one is able to think, well, it can help cleanse me, cleanse me as a person, cleanse my neshama from, from things that might be there that need to be cleansed. And in that way, Dr. Rebbe gives an interesting uh, mushel He says, if a, if a great and mighty king sits down by, near the bathtub and cleanses their child who got dirty. So the child is crying in pain, like, you know, this is the, my father is being really cruel that they're cleaning me, right? Cleaning my hair and cleaning my this, and, and it's, it's hurting, it's painful. But really, this is a total expression of love that the king, who's so, well, the great awesome king, is involved in cleansing their child out of their love because they want the child to be clean. And that's one of the ideas he says to think about that when we go through those difficult areas and we, we, when we do a little self introspection, we can probably find that we have areas that could use some cleansing and recognize that Hashem is doing me a favor at this time. That's one point. In other places he says, it's in nisayon. different ideas he says. The point I'm getting to though is he says that once a person is able to get to that place and they're able to look at Hashem lovingly and say, I said, Father in heaven, I understand that this is for my best, although I don't feel it and I don't relate to it and I love you for it. When we're able to relate to Hashem in that way, that will cause Hashem in turn to turn those uh, to, 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 to give us revealed goodness, not just the concealed type. In other words, the point being, our way of relating to Hashem brings back a reciprocal way of Hashem dealing with us. When we're able to arouse more revealed Ahavas Hashem, that causes Hashem to shower us with more revealed Ahava as well. And that's the idea of Mida keneged midah. The way we relate to him causes him to relate back to us in kind, in the same way. So therefore he says, even though Hashem was, um, was dealing with me with some concealed bracha, or tough love, or whatever it is, but when we're able to nevertheless turn to him with the revealed ahava, that itself becomes a keli, creates a keli, creates a, keli, creates a vessel to draw down Hashem's revealed Ava for us, so that our relationship should be in a, in a way of revealed goodness, or what we call toiv hanir hanigla, revealed goodness. And that's very connected to what we're talking here about Bitochen. That when we put our total faith in Hashem, that itself calls forth from Hashem the desire, and therefore the, the bracha, to give us that revealed goodness that we're waiting for and hoping for, and putting our full trust and, um, and Bitochen in Hashem for so I just wanted to mention that in the beginning of the shir, an um, idea, of the Alter Rebbe, on his yard site tonight, which is definitely a night of bracha, and chizuk for all of us. Okay, having said that, I want to continue where we left off. And as I said, <clears throat> we are at the end part of the hakdama of the introduction to the Sha'ar HaBitochon. Um, you'll recall, Shar HaBitochon is gate number four in this Sefer Chavez Alabavas, which has ten gates, but we went right into gate number four, and we're in the middle of the introduction for it. So far in this introduction, he's been talking about various advantages of bitachon. Just advantages of a person who's able to have bitachon. And he talked about advantages primarily in helping us being a better Ovid Hashem, being a better servant of Hashem. Um, in fact, gate number three of this book was shar avodas Hashem, the way to serve Hashem. Gate number four is Sha'ar avitachon. And he says that having proper faith in Hashem helps us be a better servant of Hashem. Now, though, tonight, uh, we're going to finish up the introduction and, and go into the actual chapters, I, I hope, in your session. Um, so the last part of the Hak Doma discusses practical advantages of Bitachon, not just for Avoda Hashem purposes, but just for life. He says, having faith in Hashem makes life easier. Um, on a very literal level, not merely just helping us being a better servant of Hashem. And he enumerates a couple of points. And as we've been doing, I'm going to go through them in short. And um, someone's, someone's calling here. Um, Can I just well, decline the call? Yeah, decline. Okay, it's shut. I don't know why you, the calls go on my iPad. Uh, I gave up an iPad because it felt the same it's as me. my phone. Are we still on? Do people see me here? I don't know. Yeah. There's Am I being heard? Yes. Oh, okay. Thank you, thank you. There's just a call that came in. Okay. Um, so, the last part of the hakdama of the introduction, is going to be um, the practical advantages of having bitachon and Hashem. Again, not just as it pertains to serving Hashem, but just in our practical life, making, giving us, um, making life easier. And he says the following. The first thing he says is, it takes away worry. It takes away concern. As we know, worries and concern um, are a tremendous drag on life and they can make us worried, make us uh, upset, they can make us frazzled, they can do anything to us when a person is walking around worried and concerned. Um, People say the Jews are good worriers. Um, and I don't know if that is or isn't, but clearly bitachon is a tool that can definitely help us not worry because ultimately it's not on our shoulders. We put our trust in Hashem and we are not carrying the load of the world. I have to say that one of the things that I remember as a child is hearing from my father over and over, says, a Jew doesn't worry. The Jew doesn't worry. He says, and Although, again, naturally we may, we may, but when we work on this midah of bitachon, he says, ultimately that removes from us the constant need to feel worried for what's going to be tomorrow and our job and our house and our family and our friends and so on and so forth, all the things that we can worry about. Um, in a very beautiful and perhaps well-known letter of the Rebbe, he writes to someone who, it seems, was expressing his worries and different things he was worried about, and the Rebbe says, he says, you can have, you have two options. He says, you can worry and worry and worry. And then ultimately Hashem will help you. And then you'll worry about the fact that you spent so much time worrying. Or you can just put your trust in Hashem and do, do your best. And Hashem will take care of you and you can live a happy life. It's your, it's your decision. You know, which path do you want to take? Um, and the, the we're talking here brings the Pasuk, which is a well-known Pasuk. We say it at the end of Benching. Baruch HaGever. Asher Yiftach ba Hashem, Hashem Miftachon. Blessed is the person who is able to put his bitachon in Hashem, and Hashem is their strength. That person lives a blessed life, a peaceful life. Interestingly, we say it at the end of benching. Benching is thanking Hashem for our sustenance, for our food. And at the end of benching, we say, you know what, I'm placing my trust in Hashem. Ultimately, He is the one who feeds and sustains, and we remove that extra sense of worry from ourselves. Okay, number two, in the practical advantages, and here he says something very interesting. He says, when a person has proper bitachon, and then everyone needs a job, right? We have to do avoda, we have to do our which is primarily going to be discussed in chapter three of this book. But um, he says, but in choosing a job, the more trust we have in Hashem, the less we have to, um, for, for lack of a better word, do crazy things for that job. Now, if we recognize we have full trust in Hashem, we recognize we have to do what we have to do, but we don't have to overdo it. Because we have to make a keli, we have to make a vessel for Hashem's bracha. And he talks specifically about something interesting, which is, he says, some people, in order to make a living, feel that they have to travel the entire world, and they're always traveling, and they're always running. And he says, he says that could be terrible. <laughs> he said it could be terrible for the family, and terrible for, for health, and ter- terrible for a person's longevity. And he says, that need to always travel because maybe I'll find a more lucrative deal there, maybe something more lucrative there. He says, that need, the more one is able to work on their b'tochon, the less they'll have that. they have that need to travel and travel and travel. Uh, we're going to see something interesting soon because this was challenged. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But he says, as it's known, the story of the, of the he calls him a parosh. A parosh was a name for, Ruchnistik people, more spiritual people. But he says, it's known the story of the parishion doesn't give a name. And the story is, he says, that this person, and obviously he was a firm Jew and a believing Jew, and he, but he traveled tremendously for his, for his work. And he came to a place and he met there an idolatrous person, um, a non-believer, and probably not Jewish. And this idolatrous person says, and they started talking. And this Jewish person was talking to him about our belief in Hashem. And he says, "You, believe, you know, he was telling him, your beliefs are nonsense, and why don't you believe in one God who created heaven and earth, and so on and so forth. So this idolatrous person challenged him and says, really, you believe in God? What are you doing here in this country? He says, well, I have to travel for my work. He says, all the way here? He says, yeah, well, I have to. He says, well, if you truly believe in your God, why can't he take care of you where you live? Mm-hmm. Says the Shara Tachon that this, he calls him again the Porush. Or this sadik listened and he said, You know what? You're right. And he left, went back home, and, he, and from then on, he decided that he's going to he's gonna find his work where he's at. Okay, and he changed. He took to heart the words of this idolatrous person who sort of uh, rebuked him you know, If you really believe in God, why do you have to travel throughout the world? Why can't you find work in your home, in your hometown? He listened to him, changed his habits put his trust in Hashem, and was able to find his work in that area. So therefore, says the Shara Bitochan, that a person who has the proper Bitochan doesn't have to overdo, it, doesn't have to travel the world, put your Bitochan in Hashem, do your efforts, you'll find a, play, a work which doesn't require that type of effort and travel. Now, these words of the Shara Bitochan were challenged by some. There was, and it's it, it, you know I've I've told you in the past I've been using this uh, the new the book of Shabbatachon which is great and he brings here an interesting um, quote or an interesting piece from a tzaddik his name was Rabbi Yaakov Emdim um, you may have heard of him Rabbi Yaakov Emdim lived some I don't know three hundred years ago around um, and he was a great teacher and great uh, mukhbul and um, uh, sort of controversial figure in his time which I'm not going to get into that um, he was in some severe uh, debates with some of the other great Sadiqim of the time, one of them being my great grandfather. Great-grandfather. So, but uh, <laughs> no, no, we won't get family get business into this situation. But Rabbi Yaakov is an undisputed great Torah authority. And he writes, he says, he says, that's not so. He says, sometimes people just have to travel because that's where their panasa is and, and there's no other way. He says, it's not necessarily a indi- an, an indication of a lack of bitachon. In fact, he says, I myself, Rabbi Yacobin writes, I had to travel a lot in my lifetime, not because of a lack of betachlan, it's just because that's, that's what that I had that, to do. I think I'm on a shul. Right? Yeah, and, the and, and he says, and Rabbi Yaqubim says, he says, in fact, he writes about this, he says, there's actually three reasons why one might have to travel a lot. Why that's Hashem's will. He says, um, first of all, and this goes back to what we mentioned earlier from Tanya, he says, it could be that this person has certain sins, Or things that have to be atoned for, and this is the way of Hashem bringing atonement. That this person doesn't have the peace of mind, he travels around. Again, atonement is a bracha, to be atoned for different things, and that might be something. Um, Or he says, interestingly, Hashem might make a person travel because Hashem doesn't want him in their city, because there might be negative influences in that city, negative people, and Hashem wants him on the move. Or, he says... It could just be a nisayon. We know Hashem tests us in different ways, and one of the ways is nisyonos. He says, "Look at Avram Avinu, who was traveling in the Torah, and Yitzchak, and Yamsar Yaakov." Hashem willed it that way. So, in fact, in fact, he says, even though the Shara B'teuchon quoted that story of that parush of that you know person who traveled and met the idolater, whatever, he says that story happened, but that's for a different reason, and that is because when this Sadik recognized that he's going to this place and meeting up with idolaters, he realized this is a bad place for him to be, so he went back home. Mm-hmm. But it's not because he really believed his words that it was a lack of bitachon. So it's a debate of, of great of, of Torah greats and Torah authorities, and uh, far be it from any of us to uh, you know, get involved and say who's right and who's wrong. But just on a simple level, what the Shara bitachon is saying is that when one has true bitachon, they're not looking. For such strenuous types of of work That take them across the world Sometimes if Hashem wants it to happen You're going to travel Whether you're looking for it or not But when a person is looking for a place of work And a person is looking for their parnasa, The more one has bitachon The more they're going to look for a parnasa That doesn't require such type of tremendous efforts and tremendous travels and so on and so forth. They'll do what they have to. They'll put in their as we call it and in a way that's normal and in a way that's peaceful and in a way that's happy and doesn't require that of them. Um, and again, I, I don't think essentially they're really arguing. In other words, I believe that the Shara Bitochon agrees that sometimes Hashem wants me to travel and then I'm going to travel, no matter what, no matter how much Bitochon I would have. You're putting travel with overdoing. Right, because like that's what he's... Running together. R- right, and in, in, that's how he puts it. Here, the Shara Bitochon, he uses extensive travel as a, a meta- as an example, an expression uh-huh. of the person who feels the need to just do and do and do for their parnasa, mm-hmm. and sometimes, therefore, just Makes themselves, wears themselves thin, and in unhealthy ways, because the need that I have to make that parnasa. And he says, "Put your bittachon on Hashem. Do what you got to do, and don't think, don't feel that need to overdo." Anyways, that is point number two that he says. When a person has the the bittachon, he has that easier sense of, of finding a work without putting himself out there in that way. Um, actually, which is very similar to the next point he says. They really go together, and he says here he doesn't talk about travel, but he talks about other types of dangerous work and work that that are overly taxing. And again, we find a person, and he says, the less bitachon a person has, the more a person feels the need. I have to make this parnasa, so I have to do whatever it takes, including sometimes things that are dangerous, including sometimes things that are not good for me or not good for my family, because, well, what what should I do? I have to make the parnasa. And again, he says that the more one has their bitachon. They, they know that they have to do what they have to do, but they do it in a way that shouldn't hurt them physically and shouldn't hurt them spiritually. They create it in a way that there's times for it. It doesn't become something that's consuming 24 hours a day. I have to have time for my davening. I have to have time for my family. Because, and I have to work? I will work. I'll do what I have to do. And Hashem, got, Hashem will find the way to give me what I need in those proper kalim that I am creating. Excuse me, when, when you're talking about work, does it always have to be work or paranasa? Could be. Could it, could it be anything? Can you put in a shiddah? Can you put in well, for anything great, in there? Great, great, idea, great thought. Uh, the reason I'm using this, I'm, I'm using the, the wording, the way he's setting it up, but I think you're 100% correct, that work is perhaps the most common thing that people feel every day the need to provide, and that sort of takes over people's life typically, but you're right, this applies to anything. Anything that we do, the more I feel the sense that it's up to me to get it done, then I can never do enough. The more I feel the sense that Hashem provides, and I have to do my best, then I do my best but in a normal way, the way that Hashem would want me to do it. And that is leaving time for serving Hashem and for my family and for being a normal person and so on and so forth. Um, they reference here a very beautiful letter of the Rebbe that I just wanted to read with you. I'm not going to read all the words, but the idea. Because it's very, very interesting. It seems, and this goes back to 1950, and a person wrote to the Rebbe, he says that he he needs, he needs a job. And he was, he was offered a job in a certain city. And it's all good, but in that city, there's no minion, and he won't be able to daven with a minion. What makes it matters worse is that he was saying Kaddish at the time. And he said, I'm not going to be able to say Kaddish, but I have two brothers and they will be saying Kaddish. Now, on the other hand, I'm going to be able to support my family and my brothers. And I'll be able to pay up the debt that I took to bury my father. This is a real question, right? Mm -hmm. And he asked it to the Labbitcher Rebbe. This is actually, it's even before the Rebbe became Rebbe. It's after the passing of his father-in-law in in that year before he accepted, right, to be the Rebbe. So this is 1950. And the Rebbe, it's a very beautiful answer. He says, the truth is that Chazal permitted a number of things to do for Paranassa, right? And and the truth is, you know, not davening with a mini is not an Averu. You know, you're going to daven, um, and he says, and, 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 what, and especially in this, in this uh, situation, you're saying you have brothers that will say the Kaddish, which is significant, and the, the idea of, of, of taking care of your dad, for your father's burial, which is a tremendous mitzvah. So it's permissible. The Rebbe said it's okay, it's permissible. And he says, in the times of davening, you should give some extra tzedakah for the neshama of your father. You learn some mishnayis. Um When you're benching, try to bench with at least three people. Give him some practical advice. But then he finished, and he says the following: He says, "All this I'm writing because I don't know you personally, and I don't know your level of bitachon. However, if you can strengthen your level of bitachon with true bitachon and Hashem, then I would suggest find for yourself a vessel for parnasa in a place where you'll have a minion, and you'll have your parnasa, and you'll have your minion." Very interesting answer, because it, the Rebbe didn't say it's forbidden. He didn't say that. He said, to the contrary, he says, that's permissible. He says, you have a good point. You have a job. You have a parnasa, And if you've got to do it that way, that's fine. But if you're up to it, if you could strengthen your level of bitachon to a, to a, to a healthier, stronger place, then you'll be able to find your job and find your minion, and there won't be a, a, a contradiction. So I, what, what I found here exceedingly beautiful is that he really, it's not like, it's a do or don't, it's not a chiv, it's not, you must do this, otherwise. He says, no. He says, halachically, you're okay, you're good. Strengthen your bitachon. The stronger your bitachon will be, the more you'll be able to find your parnasa by making your keli, the Rebidens say, don't work. You'll find it. And you'll find it in a place where you'll have the minion to daven with as well. Which just goes so much in sync with what we're saying that the level of bracha that we're able to receive is many times dependent on the level of bitachon we're able to find in our hearts, that we're able to strengthen ourselves. And the more we put find that bitachon the more we're able to receive that bracha in a way, as he says, that we don't have to travel in that amount, and we don't have to work so in such crazy ways and be able to have a more of a normal life and have the parnasa that we need by working on strengthening that bitachon Okay, back to the uh, Hak Hakdama. Number four, another advantage, he says, of having that bitachon in Hashem that helps us in, in, in just practically. He says, in again, he, he, he talks a lot about business. And again, I, I like very much the point you made. It's anything we learn here, we have to look at as a bigger picture. Business is what he's using. I think that's the most common thing for many people the most common concern and worry, how do I sustain for tomorrow? But you're right. You said, and, you said and there's so many examples. Um, so the next thing he says is, the more one has bitachon, the less tsar, the less pain they have when things don't go exactly how they planned. Right? Um, and again, he, he gives examples, and he says, so the person is in business, and they have a lot of um, merchandise, and they're, it's not selling. I load it up, I stocked up merchandise and I want to sell it and then something happens and somehow I'm left with 10,000 boxes of something that nobody wants anymore, right? So that whole venture went nowhere. So I could be depressed and all didn't work out. I had this planned out. I knew how this was going to work, right? And it didn't. So if I'm in charge and if it's up to me, then this was really bad. I may have wasted a year or two or three years, $100,000, whatever it is. But he says, the more I have bitachon and Hashem, I know Hashem is in charge and he has his way. This is working. And many times I don't know now how this is helping me or how I'm going to be helped. But my, my bitachon is complete in Hashem. So whatever happened, like in the Gemara we have Gamzulatovah, right? Gamzulatovah, or, or as Rabbi Kiva said, called Ovid Rachman latav Ovid. If Hashem did it, it's for a good reason. If my bitachon is Hashem, I'm able to handle those losses and setbacks and, and letdowns in so much of a stronger and better way because, again, I'm not the provider. I'm doing my best. The provider knows what's going on. Finally, he says, number five, he says that a person can really be besimcha. He says, when the daigo, and the concern of the world is on my shoulders, I'm never really besimcha. especially when things don't go exactly the way I want them to. Um, but the more I have bitachon, the more whatever happens, a person is able to have a real big smile, um, and, and he feels, and he uses some very beautiful uh, poetic words. He says, like the child who's nursing from his mother. That just has whatever they need, and it's not their, it's not my daigha, it's not my concern. I wake up in the morning, my mother's there, and that's, that's it. And he says, who, who talks about that? David HaMelech and Tehillim so beautifully in Kufl Ahmed Aleph 131 says, Imloishi Visi He says, I'm quiet. nashi Kagomul Ale Imoy me is like the nursing child on his mother. I feel with Hashem like the nursing child and his mother. Kigoma nafshi. that's how my soul is. I'm being tended and taken care of by a loving mother. I'm feeling like an infant. I don't have to worry and I can be the like a child is. who are the happiest people in the world in the world? Two-year-olds, right? Because two-year-olds don't have any problems, any concerns. They wake up in the morning. Right? The adult is waking up and you know, give me a half hour to wake up, the child gets up, gets out of bed with a smile, and you know, there's a whole world to destroy out there. There's so much to do. <laughs> like, what's there to be sad about? And even if yesterday maybe something went wrong, who's thinking about that? Right? Today a, today it's a new world. <laughs> yeah. And 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 with the real Bitachon, we could actually have a sense of that sense of simcha as well. Um, I think I've shared here numerous times the beautiful Vart that I once heard, that I don't remember the source, that the word for dago which is worry in Hebrew, is four out of the first five letters of the Aleph base. Right? Aleph, Gimel, Dalet, Hey. That's the word Daga, which is worry. Which letter is missing? Bitachon. Daga, worries, come from the lack of Bitachon because... because if I'm in charge there's what to worry about trust me Baruch Hashem I'm not so I'm not worried because I'm in Hashem's hands and this is how he finishes his Hakodama his introduction to Shar HaBitachon okay let's not waste time and go straight into the actual prokin there are going to be seven chapters of Shar HaBitachon um, the first is very very short and I might, what I really want to do is I want to cover the first two tonight two out of the first seven um, so let's go <clears throat> Perak 1. Perak Aleph, the first chapter of Shara Bitochon, he says, is the mehus of Bitochon. Mihus is the essence? the essence of, or the definition of Bitochon. What is it? What is it? And he says, it's when you're able to trust Hashem, just like you trust someone. If you have someone who's very close and very good friend, and you really implicitly trust them, he says, uh, minuchas nefesh the peace of uh, the peace of mind, the peace of heart, the serenity of the truster, on the one in whom they're trusting, that will do good for the truster. I'm sorry for, um, according to their ability, right? If I have, excuse me, if I have a very good friend, someone who really really cares for me, perhaps a parent a sibling really cares for me and I know that that feeling is really, really mutual and I know they will do for me whatever they can and they'll do for me good, whether I'm deserving or not deserving, they're not holding me to conditions, a true, honest, best friend, closest friend, again, maybe a family member, and I trust them, I truly, really trust that they are there for me. In English, I say they have my back. They will do for me whatever I need to the best of their ability. That is trust. That's the definition of trust. Now, of course, as we know, when it comes to trust in a human, although they might love me and want to do for me, there might be so many reasons why they're not going to be able to. And that's where it goes on a whole different level when we talk about Bittachon for Hashem. But in that first chapter, which is, again, just one paragraph, that's all he wanted us to know. That Bittachon is, he says, it's practical. Just like, think of your best friend and think about how secure you can be in the fact that they only want to do what's good for you and best for you and will do it to the best of their ability. That is what he calls the essence of the concept of trust. So that's very short, very succinct to the point. And that leads into chapter two. Chapter two is where he goes into much more detail. And he says, okay, but if I'm going to choose the one who I want to put all my trust in, what are the things I'm looking for? And it's a very important and beautiful chapter. And he says, and this is, this is the discussion. He says, okay, so I, I want to trust someone. We'll see soon. Ultimately, we're, we're, obviously, we're going to get to Hashem as being the true and ultimate and only one that I could really trust in. But he, he's building the case. What would I need in someone in order for me to truly trust them? And he breaks it down into seven things. Seven points or seven conditions. Seven, that's what I'm looking for seven components or aspects that I'm looking for in order to truly be able to trust someone. Just as a as side, one of the things that I find so beautiful about Sha'ar is how he breaks everything down. Like one, two, three, four, five. It makes it so much more clear when you're able to Organize. like, very organized, extremely organized. Every step here is organized. So here he's going to tell us seven points of trust, seven points that I need in order to trust someone. Number one, he says, someone who really truly loves me who really, truly cares for me, right? He The words he uses is someone who has rachamim, which is like mercy, chemla, or sort of, what's the... Yeah, caring, mercy, compassion, ava and love. So that's number one. I mean, if the person doesn't really love me, doesn't really care for me, then... That's not the person I'm putting my trust in. The more I'm confident in that person's love for me, that the more I can have trust in that person, that they are going to be there for me. So that's number one. Number two. Okay, he says, love is wonderful, that they love me and they care for me. But the other thing is that they never, that they're always... Thinking about me, they're always looking out for me, and they're never like get lazy or or sidetracked with other things. Right? There might be someone who loves me, but they're also busy with various other things. They might be taking care of their own family or their own friends or their own something. So, yeah, they love me when they think about me or when they hear about me or when I call, but I can't be fully confident because they might be busy with something else or they might be too tired or they might. You know, so the, the second thing is, it's not enough that they love me, but that they're focused on me, that they're focused on me, and and are and are, and are always going to want to know what's going on in order to see what they can do to help. And he says he goes through. He says because even if you have step one, that's not enough because they might love me, but not know what's going on with me. But like I think Panina really loves me, and I trust her, and she cares about me, but she might be in the middle of a client when uh, I call. It. Right. Right. So, like, I so, which is gonna, great. This could be. We're we're gonna get the only one that has these is Right. Like, right, right. Okay. Okay. we yeah, i right. not there yet. No, 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 no. he's <laughs> he's, 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 got way, no. he's gonna he's gonna build a case. Now, this is nothing wrong with someone. <laughs> that's the way right. humans are. Right. Um, right. There can't be another human that's fully focused on me only because they have their own life. Right? They have right. to have their own life. Right. But he's building the case and which is going to bring us right into Hashem's lap obviously but he, he builds it in a very beautiful way he says what are all the steps that I need in order for me to feel secure right. because if that person loves me very much but they also are busy with something else I'm not fully secure because they might not be there when I need them I could right? Be right for me it's like just these two I, I could only think of parents <laughs> like but you, parent, mean, you can't be focused on your child all the time yeah you can't have stuff to do but, yeah your child calls you from school they forgot their lunch or whatever but you're in the middle of work you know like you can't Right, right. But if the fear, parent feels that the child really needs their lunch, then, the, then that comes before the work too. So, but, but you're right, let's, let's keep on going. Then he says number three, even if they love me, and even if they're focused on me, but they have to be really powerful that they're able to do what they want, mm-hmm. right? My parents might love me to pieces and might be focused on me, but there might be things that are beyond their control. Have have the they have to have the ability. And then they could, again, he says, they can love me tremendously and think about me and know my problem and wish with all their heart to help me. But who knows if they're strong enough, if they're powerful enough to deal with that present situation that I'm in. All of us are parents, right? And we know that children might be going through sometimes difficult situations. And sometimes there's nothing we can do. We can give them empathy. We can hug them. But, but, that, but they're dealing with a, with a job. They're dealing with a friend. They're dealing with a boss. They're dealing with a, with a spouse. Whatever it is, what can we, do? we can love them, but we can't help them, right? So he said, the third thing I need in order to fully be able to trust someone is to know that on top of their love and on top of their constant care and focus, they also have the ability to come through. That's number three. Number four is that they really have to know what I need in a revealed way, and in a concealed way. In other words, my real needs. So many times, people truly love me, but they don't really know what I need. Mm -hmm. Now, they might not know what I need because I didn't tell them. They might not know what I need because they didn't didn't get it. They might not know what I need because I might not know what I need. So they love me, and they're focused on me, and they're very powerful, but nobody knows what my need is, so they can't help me. And again, there are times, although he doesn't talk about that here, that I'm not exactly sure what I need either. So if I really want to have be tough and really trust in someone, I need that they should love me, they should be focused on me, they should be powerful enough to come through, and they should really know what my need is. Number five. If this wasn't enough. <laughs> Number five. He says, there is when you trust in someone because they can help me today. Or tomorrow or yesterday. But then there's the one who helped me from beginning to end. They knew me when I was a child. They knew me as I was growing up. They knew me as a teenager. Now, you talk about a parent. One of the unique things about a parent, aside from the love of a parent or child, is that a parent knows the child from, you know, from, 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 from when they were born and went through with them and knows all the steps. It's a whole different picture. And it's a whole different level of connection and level of being there for someone when it's not just about today or yesterday or tomorrow. It's the full picture. And he says, when that person knew me, he says, in the time when I was a, he doesn't talk about the fetus time, but right afterward, when I was nursing, when I was a baby, when I grew up, and when I got older, and when I'm, you know, midlife, and they're always with me. That's the one I really want to put my trust in. They really got it. They really they know me and are there for me in totality. Then there's another thing he says, number six. He says, sometimes I have my trust in someone, but I also have trust in other things. So there's A, B, C, and also D. So that person who's my parent or my best friend, I really, really count on them, but I'm also counting on others other things, other circumstances, and they're like a fallback position. Versus when there's, I know that there's no one who can help me, aside from them. This is where I put my full trust, my full faith, my full security, is only there. He, he gives an example, like, it's a, it's a, perhaps this is a t- tough example, but he says like, like a, a servant, who is, like in the olden day servants, that really belonged to someone, I'm sorry? Faithful. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that, like, owned by someone. Like, you had slaves, or or of old, like an evet. And that I have my master, and that's it. The only one who I can come to, the only one who can help me is my master. I belong to my master. That's where I'm at. Then, my trust and faith in that master is total and complete. There's no one else. This is where it starts, this is where it finishes. That faith, that trust, is total and complete in this one entity. And finally, and finally he says, if I'm truly going to trust in someone, number seven, that, per, that person or that entity's kindness has to be unconditional. Mm-hmm. It has to be a love that's not based on how I behaved and how I acted and how I responded and you know, how, how my interactions were with them. You know, you know, did I get them a birthday present or not? It can't, it can't be dependent. Because if it's dependent... I can never have the fullest trust because maybe um, I didn't do something and I'm not deserving of their love, care, kindness, help at this time. If, if their love for me is somewhat dependent on some level of what I gave them and therefore they're gonna be there for me if, then I can't have my fullest faith in them because I could hope but I can never really know Maybe I did something that upset them. And then now I'm not worthy of their love. If I'm not worthy of their love, I don't know if I'm gonna get it. Mm -hmm. Those are the seven necessities that he says is in order to have perfect faith in anyone. And as all of us know, even after we got through number one and number two, Mm -hmm. that none of these can be fulfilled by a human being. They can be partial. They can be more, and, and, and as, as was mentioned here, there's nothing wrong when we have good friends, real good friends, that are, don't, aren't able to come through on all seven of these. That's fine. It, it's normal. No one can come through on all seven of these. So it's good to have good friends and people I trust. But he says, the ultimate bitachon, therefore, can only be in Hashem. Because Hashem meets every one of these seven perfectly. And he actually goes now back and brings psukim. That talk about Hashem, that, that identify every one of these seven aspects in our relationship with Hashem. And as I've been doing with you, and I keep on saying it, he brings many psukim. I try to bring one per thing. Just, to, just to, like an example. So, what was the first step? <coughs> right. Excuse me. That he loves us and that he cares for us. So he brings a pasukim to Hillel. I mean, there's so many psukim. Rachum <speaking> vechanun Hashem. Hashem is merciful. Hashem is gracious. And one more, a very beautiful and famous passage. We read in Yom Kippur, by Mincha, um, we have the special Mafter Yona. We read the story of Yonah. And what was the story, what's the story of Yonah in a nutshell? Right, is that, that Yonah was given a prophecy to go to the great city of Nineveh, right? Nineveh was a wicked city. And Yonah was sent to Nineveh to tell them to repent, otherwise they'll be destroyed. Yonah didn't want to go. Why didn't he want to go? Because he wanted them to be destroyed. Because Nineveh were very wicked people. They were very wicked people. They weren't Jewish people. And Yonah wasn't that happy with Hashem that Hashem was telling, giving him a second chance. Right? And it's hard for us to relate to, but this is the story of the, of the Navi. And Yonah runs away and ends up in a very fishy situation. <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and ultimately, Hashem saves him, and, and, and he comes, and he goes to Nineveh, and, and Nineveh repents. And Hashem forgives them. And Yonah tells Hashem, we read it on Yom Kippur, he says, Exactly what I feared is what happened. You know, you're too good, right? And what does Hashem respond? And it's a long thing, but I'm just going to quote Hashem says, "I created heaven and earth. I created all everyone. I shouldn't have mercy on this great metropolis of hundreds of thousands of people. These are my creations. So even the great Yona, who's a tzaddik, a navi, a prophet, couldn't." Plumb the depth of Hashem's Rachum Vachanon, of how merciful Hashem is, that yes, they're wicked, yes, but they're my creations. And Hashem represents the Shlemos, the ultimate of cure and concern and love and compassion for his creations. That's number one. Number two, what was number two? That he's focused. It's not enough that he loves us, but that he's watching, that he's got to see what's going on and, and is not busy with the client, as we said, right? Now, Hashem has many clients, but, but here, so what's, what's the famous pasuk, what's the beautiful pasuk he brings? Also from Tehillim, Hine shomer yisrael, that the guard of Israel doesn't sleep nor slumber, which means his eyes are open, and he's busy, he's taking care of a lot of things, but that's, That's why he's Hashem. That's why he gets the big bucks, right? Because he has that ability to see everything and see everyone and not blink. And that's number two. Number three. What was number three? The strength, the ability, right? On top of the love, on top of the concern, on top of the focus is the ability. So there's so many psukim. I'll just say one and we say it in davening every day. In, in our davening, it comes from Divrei Hayamim: Hashem Vahagivura, Feres To you, Hashem, is greatness, is strength, is beauty, is victory, is splendor. All of those midos Hashem created. So, of course, and this is basic. This is Emuna One Hundred and One Basics. Hashem can do everything. Hashem is a Kol <laughs> Hashem is all powerful, and there's no situation that Hashem can't get out of. Mm-hmm. Right, And this is so important when we talk about bitachon. Because bitachon means even when we don't know the way out. It doesn't only mean when we have an exact way out, we say, Hashem, can you do this for me? It's even when we say, Hashem, I don't know. Hashem <laughs> had Hashem has the key. And that, that therefore is number three. Okay. It's interesting that for number four, He doesn't bring a pasuk. I don't know why. I don't have the explanation. Um, number four was... That he knows what's good for me. He knows what I need. Uh, Perhaps he didn't bring a pasik because of how obvious that is. Hashem created me, so he knows what I need. Hashem makes everything tick. He knows what we need and where we need. Hashem knows what we need so many times better than what we know. And I think all of us probably can think back to situations where we thought something was good for us and it turned out it wasn't. And we thought something wasn't good for us and it turned out to be a bracha because we just didn't know the whole picture. And baruch Hashem, Hashem did. I'm sure everyone has those stories in life. I, personally, there, I mean, there's so many things that um, I had a certain job offer, which was a significant offer a certain time in my life, and I was all excited about it, and then it was disappeared. I don't know why. And afterward, Baruch Hashem, that would have been the worst thing for me. And there's a million stories like that as we go through our life and we wanted to buy this and we couldn't and then we found out there was something better and onwards and upwards, right? And she looked and in any area, right? So obviously Hashem knows what's best for us and He knows the entire picture. But interestingly, again, for this one, He doesn't bring a pasuk. I don't know why. Next, number five. What was number five? That it's not just today He's taking care of me. He took care of me today, last year, when I was a baby, when I was a child, when I was a teenager. He's with me throughout. And he says, yes, that's Hashem. He brings a pasuk from Hazinu. In Chumash, the song, He is your father. He created you, formed you. He made you, established you. He took you every step of the way. It's not a trust in today. It's not a trust in tomorrow. It's that wholesomeness of the one who's been with me and taken care of me from when I started till today. And will be further. Finally, uh, not finally, number six was um, that that's the only one. That's the only one who can help me. He's, the Hashem is not a backup plan. Like, you know, I hope this is going to work out. I have three or four things set up. And if not, Hashem, can you kick him? Right? Hashem is not a backup plan. I recognize that nothing is going to help me if Hashem doesn't say I should be helped. And that's, it's it's such an important way of looking because so many times naturally we have things figured out and then when they're not working out we say, Hashem, please. But Hashem is not there for figuring it out when everything else fails. He figured (laughs) it out originally. (laughs) Bitachon means that I know if I'm going to be helped, it's through Hashem. That's it. I'm gonna do things. I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try that. But it all is Hashem gonna give the bracha? That's what it's about, right? So he brings a pasuk from Eicha, "Mi ze Omar Vatehi," who can say something that will be Hashem lotziva? If Hashem did not command, if Hashem didn't command that this bracha is happening, it's not coming anywhere. And when we're able to fully recognize that, we recognize our bitachon is not also in Hashem; it's only in Hashem. That's the only area from where I'm going to be receiving my bracha. And finally, finally it was number seven. I I think as we were going through it, we were thinking, as I was when I was learning it, how could there be more, right? But number seven was that his love for us is unconditional. And that's so powerful because if you don't have that, even if you have all other six, you can't have full baruchah. Because if it's conditional, I may have messed it up. So he loves me and he's focused on me and he could and he wants, but... So for seven, he brings basic psukim, like we say in Ashray. In Ashray and Avani, Tov Hashem lakol. Hashem's goodness is for everyone. Virachamov in his mercy, I'll on all of his creations. Just like we said before from the story of Ninveh, right? That Hashem is there for everyone. They, they were wicked, so Hashem should remove His mercy from them. Hashem is merciful. Hashem is giving. Hashem is loving. True, there's a concept of punishment. We know that. At the same time, Hashem never loses His rachamim al kol Masav on all creations. Or, as we say in perhaps one of the most insignificant psukim of all the avening, which is right in the middle of Ashray, Poseach es yodecha, Right, Open your hands. He gives, sustains all life. Ratzon, with their desire, with the things that they need. Or one more pasik from Tehillim. We say this in the as well. Hashem sustains all flesh because his kindness is la'olam, is forever, is unlimited. And therefore, these are some of those he brings for number seven, and therefore he completes. After we recognize that these are the seven most important points or conditions or components that are needed in order to fully put our trust into someone, it's so clear and evident that it's only Hashem that we can and therefore should put our trust in. And when we're able to put our trust fully in Hashem, that itself becomes, as we said already a number of times, the vehicle to elicit that open bracha from Hashem that he gives and should and, and, and helps the person to see and receive and appreciate the bracha that we're asking for and that we need um, as Avdei Hashem, recognizing that we're fully dependent on Hashem and that's the only place that we put our trust in. And with that he finishes this second chapter of the book of the Shah of the Gate of Bitocha. Okay.